A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world till he returns. These are the stories and conversations about God's mission and the people dedicating their life to it. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, provost and professor of missions at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is Amazon to the Himalayas. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And this season, we're focusing on different mission organizations. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about ABWE, or Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. I'll be speaking to Paul Davis, the president of ABWE. Paul has been serving as president there since 2017. And today, he's working hard to meet and support and encourage the ABWE team around the world. He's encouraging churches to be sending and supporting churches, and he's working really hard to build and to reignite relationships with partners past, present, and future. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. I want to begin with just hearing some history about ABWE. Can you tell us about how this organization got started? Why did it get started? What was the original goal and purpose of this organization? ABWE began in 1927. We were started by a missionary who was serving in the Philippines. He was a medical missionary, and his mission organization, as his ministry grew, uh, his name was Dr. Rafael Thomas. He was reaching Filipino young adults, started a college and career ministry. It grew and flourished. And yeah, he was a medical doctor. Well, his mission agency sent him a letter saying he needed to cease and desist from his evangelism and discipleship work, get back to doing his medical work. And he did that, but then he proceeded to come home. And when he came home, he and his mother-in-law, Lucy Peabody, formed what was then ABEO, the Association of Baptists for Evangelization of the Orient. We were started in the Philippines by Lucy Peabody, was our first president. We had female presidents before it was cool, back in the 1920s. And she and her nephew, Rafael Thomas, started ABWE with the stated goal of doing good works, doing medical works, but not losing the gospel. So being passionate about the proclamation of the gospel, making sure that our good works, our platforms for gospel proclamation, as opposed to just doing good works for good work's sake. So we've never been a social justice type organization. We've always been a gospel proclamation ministry. When we began branching out outside of the Orient, that's when ABWE became the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism and not just the Evangelization of the Orient. And currently, we're in 84 different countries. We have about a thousand missionaries serving in those 84 different locations. Wow, that history is helpful. Maybe just one question I'm curious about. You mentioned kind of the transition from focusing on the Orient to focusing on the world. Around what years would that transition have taken place? We moved from the Philippines to Bangladesh in 1957. We were in Bangladesh reaching Bengalis for Christ. We still have a major hospital and work and translation works, theological training works in Bangladesh uh, that go on to this day. 
Then in the 1970s, we moved to Africa and South America. As we spread to Africa and South America, really, that's when there was a, a name change. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Of particular interest to me, obviously, I'm here serving at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. You work for a Baptist missions organization. So my next question has to do with kind of the, the Baptist distinctive. What role does the Baptist distinction in ABWE play in your mission strategy and focus? We are what I would call historically Baptistic, although we would have no trouble signing the Baptist faith and mission doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement is strong and robust. I think the things that would characterize us and why we have not removed the word Baptist from our name, we're association of churches. And what that means is we've got 400 sending churches. We've got 4,500 supporting churches that partner together to send those thousand missionaries. And for us, what the word Baptist in our name does is it it helps us to have the first conversation, which is we're not a lot of things, we are this thing. And having a distinctive of holding to the authority of Scripture, the autonomy of a local church, having a believing membership. In other words, we believe in conversion. We believe in baptism by immersion. So that allows us to get the first conversation out of the way. We hold on to those distinctives. I think in this day and age, Paul, a distinctive that I think we clearly hold to is this authority of Scripture, making sure that even right down to our methodology, we're making sure that we're being informed by Scripture for the way that we're doing things, for the things that become our priorities, as opposed to needs driving our methodology. And uh, there are needs all over the world. Don't get me I'm not bashing anyone any need-based organization. I'm just saying we're not driven by needs. We're driven by what Scripture compels us to do, driven by the Great Commission, driven by the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His authority in our lives to direct our lives and direct our mission. Amen. I love the confessional and convictional emphasis that that you guys have there and even being willing to kind of hold to the name because it it does does mean something. and And I really appreciate that about your organization. Master of Divinity students who prepare for ministry on Southern Seminary's campus can save up to $1,800 each semester in tuition. Residential MDiv students now only pay for the first nine credit hours a semester and can take up to 15 hours at no additional cost. Southern Seminary is making it more affordable than ever to prepare for a lifetime of faithfulness. Learn more at sbts.edu slash new MDiv. I want to shift to the kind of a million dollar question as you think about mission organizations. This is always a big question. What role does the local church play in sending missionaries through your mission organization? The role that the local church plays is is they are the sending agent. We're a missions organization, but we don't send any missionaries. The local church sends missionaries. We see ourselves as a support system for the local church as the local church obeys the Great Commission to send missionaries and laborers to every nation around the globe. Our mission is designed to serve local churches. Local churches provide the authority for us in order to send. In other words, Paul, if you'd said, hey, you know what, I want to be an ABWE missionary. The first question we're going to say is, who's your sending church? 
so you can't just join ABWE and be a missionary. You have to be sending, being sent by a local church. And then what we do is we partner with your local church to send you well. So your authority structure always stays with your local church. So we think that's important. When you think in terms of accountability, and really when you think in terms of the longevity of a missionary in ministry, a missionary is great going out alone for a year. Uh, Send a missionary for two years, it'll get lonely, but they can handle it on their own. You send a missionary for two or three terms, 8, 10, 12, 15 years, if they don't have a lifeline, a connection back to the United States, they can get very disconnected. And so the local church really becomes that anchor point for a missionary to be sent well. That's good. What about when it comes to missionary candidates? How does your organization vet missionary candidates? What does the assessment and the screening process look like? It's a lengthy process that really works through what we would call our application process. So it's not just filling out the paperwork, but it's walking through the the questions that we ask and everything from level of theological training to, you know, what is the desire of the missionary? When it gets to vetting, because, you know, vetting and these, these are different questions. When it gets to vetting, again, we work closely with the local church for vetting and that local church has to be willing to send them. And one of, I think, the key pieces for us that makes us a little bit unique in the missions world is a key aspect of our vetting process is each candidate has to do an oral doctrinal interview with our missions leadership, along with the leadership of the local church. So again, if you wanted to be an ABWE missionary, your local church would send you and A part of the process would be is we would send missions leadership to your local church and then meet with your local church leadership and the elders and the deacons in your church. Perhaps we would gather around you and we would take your your personal doctrinal statement, the doctrinal statement of ABWE, the church's doctrinal statement, and actually do a doctrinal interview with each candidate. And that doctrinal interview is geared towards the person's role. So if you're a theological educator, you're going as a a professor in one of our seminaries around the the globe. Well, that doctrinal interview is going to be very robust. But we also have electricians that will go over to serve a hospital. And that doctrinal interview, while it will be solid, wouldn't have the same level of scrutiny as, say, a, a pastor, church planter, or... But that's a unique characteristic. Everybody goes through that doctrinal oral interview together. And it's a tough piece. It's a fearsome piece for many of our our new missionaries. But it actually becomes, Paula, the key point of relationship between ABWE and the local church, as well as the missionary, as we we kind of surround that missionary, affirm their calling, affirm their doctrinal preparation to be able to go into the nations. That's great. I, I appreciate, as I mentioned earlier, obviously you're your confessional and convictional approach as an organization, but even then seeing that, how it plays out downstream to the missionary candidates and having kind of a, a doctrinal exam of sorts, I think is, is a great thing. And I appreciate uh, you guys doing that. I know it's that that may not be popular and easy. I know you said sometimes it can cause some anxiety for some people, but I think on the other side of that, it makes for a much stronger, healthy 
missionary, again, who's planting and establishing the church around the world. So thank you guys for for your work in that. Another question that that like, you know, people walking through kind of a missionary call as they're exploring organizations and options and opportunities to go is, you know, where does your organization primarily send people? I know you talked about you're working now in over 80 countries. So so where do you send people? And then how is location determined for a a, a single or a missionary family? It's a dance. There are needs that the organization has. And so we have missionaries and current teams that are recruiting missionaries. So many times a missionary will come to us, a local church will come to us with a missionary, and they already have a relationship with a team or a ministry. Maybe they've been serving short term or they've been supporting financially that team. That team is recruiting them. So they're they're deciding based on that. Uh, Other times people will come to us again with interests in the country. We have people that come to us from either other organizations or maybe from school, you know, maybe they're, they've recently graduated from voice and, and they're saying, you know what, me and my two buddies, you know, we really have a heart to reach Muslim speakers and such and such a country. And so they'll come to us and, and we'll help them form a team. And so, so there's really a variety of ways, both being recruited internally and people being driven externally that locations uh, are being Really, it's as varied as people are. We have a lot of theological educators. As a matter of fact, we have an annual international theological education summit where we gather theological educators from all over the globe. We have about 35 or so, either seminaries or Bible institutes around the globe that we have theological educators working from. And and so we do a lot of that. That's pastoral training. That's uh, that's equipping national leaders, and that's certainly a, an important ministry. We have a, a part of us that starts crisis pregnancy centers as a way to reach folks. And you know, initially you'd think it would just reach women, but it actually reaches their their boyfriends and their significant others. And so we have those in in college areas and in areas of need where abortion is a is a huge issue and and we're seeing tremendous outreach happening with crisis pregnancy centers obviously businesses missions we've got some very entrepreneurial folks that are using business opportunities as gospel platforms we're big into medical missions we've got several major hospitals and clinics around the globe and so a lot of things from surgeons and nurses but also hospital administrators and folks serving in maintenance roles, but using, again, those maintenance roles, not to just come and do maintenance with us, but to use as a tool of discipleship to actually train up national leaders to do the maintenance in a hospital that we would hopefully hand over one day. Uh, We have a blind school. We have deaf ministries. Again, there's so many different things. Every one of those, though, are not an end of themselves. Our blind school is is not just a a school to reach blind children in West Africa. It's an opportunity to reach the families that are surrounding those those blind students. And and so everything that we do is about gospel proclamation. That's great. So obviously all of those different avenues, different opportunities that, that people are serving, we've talked about over all that taking place in over 80 different countries around the world. I would love if you could just, I know you can't take too long here because there's probably lots of stories, but if you could just briefly 
tell us maybe an encouraging story or two about what the Lord is doing through ABWE around the world? Maybe something that you've heard in the last month or two that, that the Lord is doing around the world. Some of the easy ones to remember and some of the, I think, the most dramatic pieces are through our medical work. You know, you hear of folks coming. We've got a hospital in, in northern Togo, and it's in a, a Muslim context area. And so you have story after story of a, of a Muslim person coming to our hospital, being sick, having a, an extended stay, hearing the gospel over and over eventually coming and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, we've seen that happen in, in multiple locations. And one of the stories that's happened not long ago that I love to tell is we had a, a lady come to our hospital from a tribe that had no gospel witness whatsoever, completely unreached, one of these small, isolated people groups and language groups that the entire village and the entire people group are maybe a thousand or two people came to our hospital. The only person in her language that she knows of that knew Jesus Christ, she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, went back to her village, asked one of our missionaries to come and visit and begin a Bible study with her since she was the only believer that she knew of. That Bible study led to more and more women being interested, like, why is this white person coming to our village to meet with you? So more came. Long story short, there is now a church meeting in that people group. It's a full, because not only have women come to faith in Christ, but men have come to faith in Christ, and and the men in, have decided, hey, let's not just have a Bible study, but let's have a, a church, a full-blown church. So mm-hmm. it's been a two-year process, but the exciting thing is, is that was totally not on anybody's radar screen. I'd love to say, hey, we were targeting this people group and we had a plan, we executed the plan, and now there's a church there. This was totally God bringing this lady, connecting her with one of our missionaries, that missionary having the capacity to go and and do discipleship and training. And and then through a series of events, not only just women, but men coming to faith, Mm -hmm. and then these men wanting not just a Bible study, but a church to form in their area. If you are weighing the call to ministry, the question you should be asking is not where will I prepare, but what faculty will I study with? When you choose a seminary, you choose a faculty. At Southern Seminary, you will study with our faculty of authors and scholars who are also faithful pastors and church leaders. I want to invite you to come and meet our faculty by joining us on campus for preview day on April 12th and see why Southern Seminary is the place to prepare for a lifetime of faithfulness. To register, visit sbts.edu slash preview. I love those stories about, it kind of reminds me of John chapter three, where, you know, it's Jesus says that the spirit blows wishes. And I think in that sense, it's kind of sounds like what, what you're hearing take place in different parts around the world. You guys weren't planning for it. You weren't even maybe strategizing around it, but the Lord is the one who kind of brought it to be. And you guys were thankfully kind of there and available and ready to kind of take the opportunity as the Lord brought it. So that's that's really encouraging. I want to transition to some lightning round questions. First one up, I'd love to hear your favorite missionary biography. Well, this is an old one, but I don't think there's one that was more impactful in my life than uh, Don Richardson's, a couple of his that he wrote, but Peace Child, the way he exegeted the culture and exegeted scripture and brought that to bear. And 
So Peace Child and his other eternity in their hearts. Next question is a fill in the blank question. The greatest challenge facing ABWE today is blank. How do we protect workers in difficult locations while engaging local churches in the United States to help reach those and support those missionaries in those locations? We've got missionaries that are putting their lives their lives on the line to proclaim the gospel in, in places where that is a dangerous prospect. And just even on this podcast, there's been a couple stories that I told that I was just like, I'm being very vague as to the location to protect it. But the church all needs to hear these stories. Mm-hmm. Local churches need to hear these tremendous faith-filled pioneers of the gospel who are going into these locations and putting their children's lives on the line, putting their family on the line. And publicly, when I talk about them, I have to be very vague. And I feel like it takes some of the, I don't want to say the power because the power is in the spirit, but you you know what I'm saying? It. I don't know that the North American church understands the weight and the the amazing fortitude of the men and women pouring their lives out for the sake of the gospel. That's my biggest challenge. That may not be our organization's biggest challenge, but when I travel around, I know what some of these folks are doing, and I long to just get up in the pulpit and and just proclaim it and preach it, but they're broadcasting it online. We have to be here. So that's a, that's a challenge that I'm facing. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of the idea of, you know, what does it look like to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in terms of how do we communicate the message, but not communicate it in such a way that puts these workers or these national believers at risk as a, as a result of our sharing. But then we want, we want the resources, we want the prayer, we want things coming from, from our churches here. So how do we kind of balance those two things? Uh, I understand what you're saying. All right. Yeah. Last question. Someone maybe is listening to this podcast right now and they're like, all right, I'm listening to these two Pauls talk and I like what I'm hearing about, <laughs> about ABWE. You've convinced me I want to be sent to the nations with ABWE. What are their first steps? What advice would you give to them? So if they're wanting to check out more about ABWE, simply going to abwe.org. Our website is robust and and we answer a lot of people's questions on on our website. We have what we call uh, periodically throughout the year, 24-hour demo, which is an in-person event, which is a 24-hour event. It's five o'clock Friday night to five o'clock Saturday night. And you can come to our headquarters where we have locations in sometimes in California, sometimes in Orlando, sometimes in our headquarters in Pennsylvania. But those events are exposing people to everything that it means to be an ABWE missionary from opportunities to the entire process of, of being a part of, of ABWE. So that 24 hour demo would be a great first step. Also, we have a podcast, the missions podcast. I know you're familiar with, and, and I would encourage people to check out the missions podcast. And we talk a lot about the things that we're committed to the things that we care about, the people that resonate with us, the opportunities that God is using in us. So check out the missions podcast. Those would be the, I think probably the, the best ways if someone's interested in ABWE to get a hold of information about us. 
my first step is always though, Paul, if you're asking me what's the first step to being a missionary, hmm. that is connect with the pastor of your local church. And again, this is where we believe mission starts with the leadership of a local church, finding those people that the Holy Spirit is tapping on the shoulder and they in their hearts are saying, here am I, send me. And that special relationship between a local church and a sent one is really the, the beautiful relationship that we gather energy around and are trying to support. Paul, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. You're so welcome. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Amazon to the Himalayas is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. At Southern Seminary, we're preparing the next wave of missionaries, church planters, Bible translators, and more for a lifetime of faithfulness to the Great Commission. To learn more about how Southern Seminary can prepare you to take the gospel from the Amazon to the Himalayas, visit sbts.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.